If I gained the world, would it be worth the price? All right, well, good morning again. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll open God's Word together. Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for family, for friends, and everything you've done in our lives in 2018. You're behind the good times, and you're at our side on the bad. In the next few minutes, I ask you to speak to our hearts and allow us to hear what you're saying to us and see where you're calling us. Soften our hearts as we focus on you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, I've got a couple photos just to kind of explain where my family is. So I, I know most of you probably came just to see my wife and kids, and you were disappointed it was just me. So um, real fast, these are what my kids look like. They've grown a little bit. Not to put Corey on the spot. So this is our latest daycare picture. This is Samuel and Natalie, um, and they are sweet and awesome, but they're also down with the I don't know, flu or sickness or some junk today, and I don't feel very well. Uh, we still probably would have made it, but this is what my wife looks like today. This is what my wife looks like today. <laughs> so uh, my daughter is starting to throw some pretty awful temper tantrums. In her last one, she caught my wife's eye just a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean a lot of bit. And uh, she'll be all right. She just has to have an eye patch over her eye for the next three or four days. So that is where the smizers are. Uh, invite us back again sometime in the spring and... I'll bring the entire family, God willing. Okay. I'm excited to be back at Cornerstone. Gail and I uh, have nothing but love for this church, nothing but love for this congregation. And it's a blessing to be able to preach to you this morning. Tomorrow is the last day of 2018. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to turn the page on 2018, in part because I'm excited to see what God is going to do next year. I know he's going to do something great. But also because, uh, for me personally, it's been a challenging year. It's been a tough year. There have been some bright spots. I got to see Corey Vaughn and Katie Gleason graduate high school, and so that was exciting. I've got to see my own kids uh, get a year older, uh, get a year smarter. Uh, they start, they're starting to play with each other now and run around and have fun. And I've, I've started to see them start to grasp the gospel, if just a little bit. And so that's been really fun to see. But it's been a tough year. Uh, this year I said goodbye to a church that I absolutely adore. Uh, and on top of that, I lost my dad this year without ever having the chance to say goodbye. And it's been a long, kind of challenging year. One of the conversations that stands out to me the most from the past year, though, uh, I can remember on a Wednesday night downstairs playing pool with Corey Vaughn. And Corey just goes, Joe, I think you're having a midlife crisis. I don't think I was. But at the same time, it's been tough nonetheless. Uh, just kind of along that same way. I mean, I've noticed my own body doesn't act the same way it does when I was 18. Uh, if you agree with me that old age starts when you're 32, say amen. Okay, so there's nothing bad to look forward to from here on out. That's good. Yeah. Uh, this year I made, uh, made some money, more than I'd made in the past, and that's not a brag on my part because I didn't make that much. But really, I, I've, I've made enough uh, money, more than I have in the past. I've, I've had a Full year, a full year in our own house. We bought a house towards the end of 2017, so we got to spend an entire year in a house that's our own. 
life is good. I got a promotion of work. I've had good things happen. And through it all, I've been constantly reminded that it's all meaningless. The house is just a house. A job is just a job. Bob Goff says it this way, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me. But now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I may make some money. I may be naturally gifted at technology or something like that. That doesn't necessarily mean that's where God wants me to be. It doesn't mean where I, that's where I most glorify God or best serve God. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where we're going to spend our time together this morning. I've shared this before, but it's like you're sitting down and just having a cup of coffee with your granddad. He's going to offer you all sorts of wisdom that he has from life. Except in this case, granddad is one of the wisest men who's ever walked the planet. And so it's a neat perspective here in this book. But you're going to sit down. He's going to give you offer your, he's going to offer you wisdom on life. And this year, as I grappled with loss, as I grappled with my own mortality to a degree, um, the, I kept having different thoughts. And really, one of those is, if I have so many days on this planet, how do I invest my life in a way that it isn't wasted? How do I invest my days, my time, everything that I have so I don't waste my life. Uh, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. I don't know if Gary's picked out a banner or theme for 2019, but that might be a good one. Everything is futile. It'd be super encouraging, wouldn't it? What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, Yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The life is not satisfied, or the eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Can one say anything? Look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. Uh, in 2008, I read a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. It's an okay book. It's pretty good. Um, it's a little bit redundant because everything about the book can be summed up in Don't Waste Your Life. It makes sense. Uh, but the one thing I remember from it, though, is that John Piper, when he was a boy growing up, in his parents' home, they had a plaque above the dinner table that said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This changed my life uh, because it made me examine how I was spending my life and my career. At the time, working for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I worked in web design, which was good. It was something I was gifted in. It was fun. But at the same time, I didn't talk to a single person during my 40-hour workday, at least in person. If I talked to somebody, it would be over the phone. And as I looked at my life, it, it made me question what I was doing. It played a small role in me going into ministry and ultimately bringing me to a church in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, but we will be remembered not for how we spend our money, but how we invest our time and our love. 
Later, Piper said, there's a tragedy in the making. You may not be sure if you want your life to make a difference. Maybe you don't care very much whether you make a lasting difference for the sake of something great. You just want people to like you. If people would just like being around you, you'd be satisfied. Or if you could just have a good job with a good wife or husband and a couple of good kids and a nice car and long weekends, a few good friends, a fun retirement, and a quick and easy death and no hell. If you could have all that, even without God, you'd be satisfied. That is a tragedy in the making, a wasted life. The Christian life is full of paradoxes and mysteries. The king of kings born in a manger. God suffering and dying on the cross for a broken and wretched world. But perhaps the, the greatest one is this. If we want to have a life of meaning, if we want to have eternal life, then we have to lay down our own life. Our old life must die so that we can really live. We must relent. I was reminded of this song uh, earlier this week. It's called Relent by Citizens and Saints. Um, my daughter, I mentioned, threw a bit of a temper tantrum. Um, she would not settle down. I tried everything, rocked her, did everything. Kids are fun. Um, finally, uh, I take her out to the car, throw her in her car seat, start the car, and just start driving around Lawrence. And as I'm driving around Lawrence, this song comes on. We all have seasons of life that can be somewhat trying. Uh, maybe you've been sick, maybe you love been sick. Maybe lose a job. It can be anything. For me, uh, when I have kids screaming at me for years, sometimes it can be tough to tell which end is up. The song came on as we drove. Uh, we're going to listen and watch the music video for it. The lyrics are going to be on the screen. Hopefully you can read them. If not, pay attention to the lyrics as they sing them. I think it's a powerful song. If I gained the world, would it be worth the price To work these hands to death and not be satisfied If every effort brought another sleepless night I'd be so tired I have strived enough to know that this divide can never be repaired through countless second tries. Still, I stay the course, avoiding what is right. Now I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. I relent There is nothing for me here You can have it all This life is not my own You give life That is worth the loss of mine 
I have traded cherished truth for worthless lies Raging through the earth a treasure I couldn't find Wallowed in the mud for nothing but my pride And I'm so tired I'm just so tired I relent There is nothing for me here You can have it all This life is not my own You give life That is worth the loss of mine I surrender all I have to follow you I just want to live in peace I'm struggling to believe Letting go will bring me peace Can I sit here at your feet? Cause this is right where I belong I can feel it in my soul You say I'm right where I belong
All right. Thanks for watching that with me. Corey, I apologize for that. I should have saved it in a better spot. So that's on me. I apologize. I relent. There is nothing for me here. You can have it all. This life is not my own. You give life, and that is worth the loss of mine. I surrender all I have to follow you. That's going to be our theme. That's going to be our thesis statement the rest of the morning here. Um, my life was never mine. Can't be, it can't ever all be about me. It can't be about me. It has to be all about God. I was bought with a price through his death on the cross. I have to lay down my life to truly live. We see the same idea across ministry. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 16 that if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit if someone, uh, what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Jesus tells the crowds in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And Jesus tells the rich young man in Mark 12, Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then... Come, follow me. Following Christ has a cost. We give up our old life, and we give up everything that might distract us, hold us back, or cause us to look back at the life that we used to live. If there is something that robs us of our joy, or our affection, or our love for Jesus Christ, we have to get rid of it. That could be TV, that could be anything else. But get rid of it. Find things that encourage you and cause you to stand in awe of God or just worship God better. For me personally, uh, I, I know that there are certain TV shows, certain songs that do not fill me with joy, so I need to get rid of those. Uh, I also know that being out in nature causes me to have a better awe, a better sense of God's greatness when I'm out in nature, especially when I'm around mountains. But that's uh, kind of tough to do in Kansas. But anywho, find something that causes your, your heart to stir for God. All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This will be our last big verse for this morning. I say last, but we'll be here for another 15, 20 minutes. Don't worry about that. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse 17. And it says when you get there, therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. And there's that word again, futile. We saw it in Ecclesiastes. Futility is something that produces nothing useful. It's pointless. In the passage, Paul writes that we cannot live as the Gentiles live. What they do is futile. What they do is mean. Gentiles are those who are not Jewish. But for us, for us to apply this, that's everyone in the world who does not know Jesus. It's manifested in culture through TV or social media or the internet or money or fame or meaningless. Or Sorry, money or fame, that's all meaningless. And not only will we not find fulfillment there, but if we chase it, if we invest our life in chasing those things, it will ultimately lead to death. We can pour our whole life into the pursuit of money or fame or popularity or anything else, but at the end... When we get to the end of our life, we're going to realize that we wasted it. Let's keep reading in 18. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. 
and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. There are things in life that uh, may be spiritually neutral. Uh, I can remember standing up here and preaching about Hebrews 12, how we need to cast off everything that that might trip us up so we can follow Christ. Uh, That could be sin, or that could be, I think I threw out an example, like video games, the time waste or something like that. But what Paul's talking about here isn't things that are spiritually, spiritually neutral. He's talking about sin. It's what separates us from God and ultimately condemns us. There were, they, the Gentiles were accordingly estranged and hostile in mind, Colossians says. They were alienated from the life of God, which is the source of all life that's worth living. And therefore, as they had been told already, they are dead through their trespasses and their sins. The hardening of their hearts is the progressive inability of conscience to convict them of their wrongdoing. That's why I prayed this morning that God might soften our hearts. Because as we live in a busy world, in a world full of distractions, full of sin, it's easy to get callous towards God, to miss what he might be doing all around us. And I pray that that's not the case. The world tells us that sin isn't a big deal. It's just a white lie. It's petty theft. It's just a fling or a one-night stand, something small. But it's a big deal because God hates it. He hates it because it separates us from him and because his son suffered on the cross to win us back from it. We can't have anything to do with sin. Promiscuity, or your version may say debauchery, is wantonness. It's sin that throws off all restraint and flaunts itself. It's unawed by shame or fear without regard for self-respect or the rights and feelings of others or public decency. And this impurity has a wide range of meaning. It could be sexual misconduct, but it could also be all sorts of moral evil, as is noted in Colossians 3.5, where it's included in the list of practices that believers have to put off, like covetousness. It appears as a climax in that list, and it's a further warning when it comes in Ephesians 5.5. But in 20, we'll keep rolling, he says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth in Jesus to take uh, off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Church, look at me this morning. We have to get rid of our former life, everything that trips us up, everything that causes us to look back, because we know that there is nothing to go back to. Our back has to be to it. We have to keep longing and chasing after God and forgetting the world around us. There is nothing there for us. We trade in what is futile for what is fruitful. We do it because we're called to love and impact the world around us, For us specifically, it's right here in Lawrence, Kansas. And God is not done with us yet. Okay? We might be sick, we might be poor, we might be advanced in years, but God is still calling you, he can still use you, and the battle is not over yet. We know he wins the battle, but we still have our role to play. So Larry Vaughn, God is not done with you yet. Jerry Taylor, God is not done with you yet. In Cornerstone Southern Baptist Church, God is not done with you yet. 
Listen to his call. Live passionately for him right where you are and wherever he calls you. Your most precious resource is your time. Use it for God. Your next most precious resource is how you spend your love. Use it for God. Use your money for God. Use, use everything you have for God. Uh, I've often heard that when we approach God to worship, we approach God like this, right? This because we can't have our fists closed around anything. We have to be willing to offer everything to him, open-handed. Everything, I, everything we have is his. Use your life for God. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, 25, Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. We have to get rid of the sin that used to trip us up, that used to entice us. We can't have anything to do with it. In his uh, letters, Paul often uses this clothing imagery. We take off our old self, our old sin, our old attitude, our old clothes, and we put on our new life, clothed in righteousness. 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Bad things are going to happen. Someone will hurt us. They might do it accidentally. They might do it purposefully, but we'll get hurt. But we can't let that drive us to sin. Additionally, it says that we don't let the sun go down. We can't let sin or bitterness or hatred take root. We have to address it then and there because sin and bitterness turns into jealousy and coveting and hatred and so much more. 28, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. This is, again, evidence of our new life. The thief doesn't steal. But when the thief becomes a Christian, he not only is willing to give up stealing, he's going to do what he can to earn an honest livelihood and help the people around us. The transformation is obvious for the thief. He can't keep doing his old job. He has to move on to something new. He has to take up his new life. For us, uh, especially those of who have been around the church since we were little, could be 20 years, 30 years, 70 years, our transformation, our story might not be as dramatic as the thief here. That doesn't mean that we don't have things that we have to cut out. That doesn't mean that there aren't things that need to be fixed. 29, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God forgave you in Christ. So instead of a list of vices to be discarded and another list of virtues to be cultivated, we see this counterbalance. We have the sin, and then we have this new thing that we, we take up instead. right? So virtue in place of falsehood. We have uh, reconciliation or peace taking the place of anger. We have sharing instead of stealing. We have helpful speech instead of foul language. And kindness instead of animosity. General Grant and his staff were gathered in a house back in the Civil War. Several officers were standing around the fireplace, and he was alone in the corner, apparently in deep thought. One officer said, I have a story for you men. I believe I can tell it since there are no ladies present. An expectant ripple of laughter went across the room. Right? This is going to be good. This is going to be quite the story. General Grant stood and quietly remarked, No, but there are gentlemen here. The story was never told. 
Some who would not tell an impure story have no problem sitting and listening to one. Followers of Christ, we have to put away all this junk. Christian, examine your life. There are things you need to get rid of. Like the story, maybe you shouldn't tell jokes or stories. Really, you have no place even listening to those jokes or stories. Maybe you shouldn't be in that relationship with that person. Maybe you shouldn't have that app on your phone. Be careful how you live your life. Be careful what you let influence you and how you influence others because you will do it positively and negatively. Part of living lives that look different in the world around us is how we use our time. For example, in 2019, just a few days away, many of us are going to endeavor to read the Bible in a year. We might buy a special Bible that will walk us through it date by date. We might download a reading plan from a website. But regardless, we'll, we'll take the time. We'll try to read the Bible in a year, which is good. I'm not discouraging us from doing that. But if it takes the average person 70 hours to read the Bible, front to back, 70 hours, consider this. The average American will watch 77 days worth of TV in 2019. So we could watch 77 days worth of nonsense, or we could use that time to read the Bible over 30 times which I'm not saying you should do that, but imagine if you used your time to God's glory. Imagine if you used your time intentionally. Imagine if you replaced that junk in your life to better follow Christ. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher. He had over 70 resolutions for his life. Uh, here are a few. There may be good resolutions for 2019 for us. Resolved never to do anything, which I should be afraid to do, if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it was the last hour of my life. And resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it in the most profitable way I can. We'll wrap this up with the first part of chapter 5 here. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us, and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. The example of Christ is appealed to alongside the example of God. Our way of life must be marked by our love, just as Christ was. It has to be wild. It has to be radical. We have to be willing to sacrifice everything for those around us, just like Jesus was. He showed his love by giving himself on the cross for their behalf. The implication is clear. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's from First John. A year ago, uh, actually this Sunday, a year ago, I was supposed to preach, uh, but that got canceled because of inclement weather. I think it was maybe one degree when we woke up that day. It was cold. Uh, but the heart of the sermon I never got to preach was this idea of us living a congruent life. The congruent life. Congruence means, uh, or sorry, the Congruence, meaning that our life matches up with the example that Jesus has for us. Eugene Peterson says it like this, The Christian life is the lifelong practice of attending to the details of congruence. Congruence between ends and means. Congruence between what we do and the way we do it. Congruence between what is written in Scripture and our living out what is written. Congruence between a ship and its prow. Congruence between preaching and living. Congruence between the sermon and what is lived in the preacher and the congregation. 
the congruence of the word made flesh in Jesus with what is lived in our flesh. It must be every aspect of life, not just family, not just church, but also work and play, everything. Uh, I, I have to be the same man at work on Monday that I am the same man that sits in the pew on Sunday. I got in trouble this year when I forgot who I was. I got distracted by the world to a degree. I got down to a degree. And I forgot my identity. Uh, I, I saw my identity and what the world offered. I saw myself as a father, as a son. I saw myself as a cybersecurity officer, my new promotional work. Not as glamorous as it sounds. Um, I saw myself as a homeowner, as a Kansan, as an American. All sorts of different labels that the world throws out at us. That's not my identity. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I am the child of the King. I am a slave to him and to righteousness. My identity comes from Jesus Christ. I am not just a dad or a technology specialist. I'm just like the Blues Brothers. I'm on a mission from God. We have to remember who called us and who sent us, and we have to find our identity in him. We have to love him and not the world, not stuff. Not fame, but him. First John chapter 2 tells us this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. We have to give up our old life, our old identity, our old lifestyle, so that we might be new in Christ. True life, eternal life is found when we relent, when we give up, when we give up control. Here in a moment, we're going to have a chance for you to respond. If you're tired of the futile life, and you hear Christ calling to repentance and forgiveness and a new life in him, and you're ready to be a Christian, come forward. The deacons of the church will be here. I'll be up front, and we'd be happy to pray with you. The altar is open for you, or maybe you just want to pray on your own and over the areas in your life that you know you need to change so you can better follow him. Thanks for letting me spend time with you this morning. Do you pray with me? Father, thank you for the love and the forgiveness you offer. 